song kind of goes with that. It's people need the Lord. I don't want to get on that side, but if you're going to stand up. Okay, there we go. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. The laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. people do need the Lord, don't they? And boy, we're glad today to have with us the mans, and boy, we enjoyed that singing, and um, I'll tell you what, um, uh, 
it's just great to have a family that's saying, listen, we're willing to go. Can you imagine some of the obstacles they're going to face as we discussed last Wednesday? And boy, just with that exchange rate and things like that, can you imagine if the U.S. dollar loses uh, maybe more strength and then all of a sudden gas is $10 a gallon or bread is $8 a loaf? Can you imagine that? I mean, being on the field and something like that changing. But nonetheless, we are glad that they've committed their lives and their family to going there, and uh, that's exciting. And boy, they got their family behind them. It was nice to see them all singing, doing a fabulous job. And again, passing out those cards, that was effective. Now, that's effective. I was getting on your son pretty good, though. I was riding him pretty heavy over there. I kept saying, get out of my way, get out of my way, because everywhere I turned, he was passing one of those things out, and I kept messing with him. But he did a great job. And boy, I'll tell you what, I'm looking around, and everybody's got a card, thanks to you. You did a good job, young man. You keep up the good work, all right? All right, Dad, why don't you come preach for us, all right? We're looking forward to it. God bless you, brother. You know, that's my son. That's the spirit that God gave him. That's not me as a dad saying, do this, do this. That's him. That's him. A few weeks ago, he said, Dad, I think God's called me to be a missionary. Praise God. Praise God. And then he said, Dad, I think I want to go to the country of Yemen. And I said, Yemen? That's the hardest place in the world you want to go. Are you sure? And I said, I'll support you 100%. Because is there someone in Yemen that doesn't need Christ? Everyone needs Christ. And just because it's hard doesn't mean it's impossible. We're going to look at that a little bit tonight. Turn with me, please, to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. A few weeks ago, I was down in Athens, Georgia, at a missions conference. And this pastor, he was so excited for the missions conference, he started preaching for it in January. And he prepared the people. And he took them through the book of Esther. We don't have time to go through the book of Esther tonight. I hope you know the story of Esther. I'll give you a quick history of it. But it comes down to a a pivotal point for such a time as this. And that was the theme of the conference. And the pastor emailed the missionaries that would be at the conference. And he said, this is what we're we're doing, we're going through. Would you please preach on it as well as the Holy Spirit leads? And isn't that important? As the Holy Spirit leads. So I got on my face before God, and I begged him for a message from him. And this is a little bit of what he gave uh, for that message. Let's read Esther chapter 4. If you would stand with me, please, honor the Word of God. Chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to pick the story up right in the middle of it, and forgive me for not introducing more. Verse 13 says, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them to turn to Mordecai this answer. Go, rather together all the Jews that are present in Shoes hand, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Verse 17, So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Chapter 5, verse 1, Now it came to pass, don't miss that word there, now, 
It's only three letters. It's easy to miss, but it's very important. Now, it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel, stood in the inner court of the king's house, over against the king's house, and the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house, over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Father God, please be with us tonight. Thank you for allowing me to be here. It's a privilege and a joy to be here and to preach your word to this great church, Lord. Be with us in the next few minutes. Oh, Holy Spirit, please use my words to make a difference, Lord. That's all I ask, is to make a small difference in this church, in this community. In your name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Verse, chapter 13, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 13 says, Then Mordecai commanded answer, Think not on thyself. Think not on thyself. He's saying, Esther, you're, you're the queen. You're, you're a Jew, and you're a queen, and you're living in the palace. And we see that she had maidens. She had uh, roommates. You know, we can go into the story and learn more about that. But she was always surrounded by other women that were her friends. She, as the queen, had, I would, great food. I mean, queens get great food. And she had the comforts of life. She lived in the palace. I mean, every little girl's dream is to be a princess and live in a palace, right? Well, Esther had that dream, and it came true for her. And she was comfortable. I mean, can, would you not say that? She was comfortable? She was comfortable. And Mordecai, her... Uh, says to her, uh, you might be comfortable, but there's something bigger going on here than your comfort. If you read between the lines, you can see that. You see, the Jews had a death sentence on them. Uh, there was a man that came to the king, and his name Haman, and he tricked him into putting a death sentence on the Jews. And, and all the Jews in the land, which at the time the land was massive, I mean, India was part of the land, and and my mind went blank on the, all the countries there, but uh, half of Europe was part of that land. It was a, a big territory. And all these Jews had a death sentence on them. And Mordecai is trying to do something to help. And he goes to Esther, the queen, and he asks her to help. And he says to her, Esther, you're comfortable, but God put you there for such a time as this. Dear Christian, are you comfortable in your life and where you're at? Now, these aren't padded pews, but you guys have a goal and a purpose in mind, and yet the air condition feels good, doesn't it? Amen. Somebody says it was a little cold in here, but it's comfortable. America is comfortable. If you ever go outside these borders, you quickly find out how comfortable America is. Very comfortable. What if we were asked to go and save a nation as Esther was. And we said, no, God, we're comfortable where we're at. No, God, I don't want to go overseas. We're comfortable where we're at. Life is good where we're at. Maybe you got a good job. I mean, I don't know what your comfort is. Maybe you like having every fast food restaurant within walking distance of your house. I don't know your comfort. But maybe, maybe I do know that comfort, huh? I don't know your comfort or what your advice is. But I do know that God asks us to go, and God asks us to make a difference 
for him. Let's look at a few things on how America is blessed and, and how the Christian church in, the, in America handles things. 2008, a magazine, a Christian magazine, I might say that a little loosely, but nonetheless, asked a bunch of church leaders this question. Faith, what is the biggest problem facing the church today? It's a good question. Let's see what some of the answers were. One of the most dangerous things the church today is the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. Comfort. Comfort. Come to God, have comfort. That's prosperity gospel in three sentences, right? That God can come and bless and give you health and wealth. The Christian experience becomes just about what you can get. One lady says, we don't believe God. We don't believe the vision of God. We don't believe who He is. We don't believe that He is good. We're not captivated by that vision. Man, I don't want to say that about me, about losing the vision of God. Oh, for God so loved the world. That's the vision. One person says, I think it has to do with the relearning the issue of how to think. The Bible still waits there as this wonderful, huge, enormously energizing, complex book, which actually has the robustness and the supplyness to carry us forward into a new place that we should be, and yet it sits and waits. Chuck Colson says, we have submitted therapy or substituted therapy for truth. We hear a feel-good message, and we've lost our understanding of basic truths of Christianity. But we live out our faith in such a way that people can be seen, or people can see the invisible kingdom made visible in the mist. Now, I'm not saying that these things are true of this church. This is a general Christian church in America today statements. The point is, we're comfortable in America. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. No doubt. We're comfortable. Esther, Mordecai says, you're comfortable. But God put you there for a purpose. The population of Hungary is 10 million. The population of Deperson is about 300,000. The population of Akron, I was surprised by this, is 198,000. That's a lot of people that you pass by every day. Every day, 198,000 people. Do they know Christ? Dear church, are we too comfortable to tell them? I love that map, preacher. I've never seen that in a church. I've seen it in the back closets. I've seen it in the uh, dark closets of churches. I've never seen it in the auditorium. That is wonderful. That's your neighborhood. That's your Jerusalem. Attack it. Attack it. Because the people on those streets that aren't under the sound of sound doctrine aren't under the sound, the voice of sound doctrine. It's simple, really. Reach your nation. Reach your city. At this time in the story, there were millions and millions of Jews that had a death penalty. You know, there's uh, about 7.5 billion people in the world today that have this same death penalty. It's not by a king on a throne, but by a righteous king who can't be in the presence of sin. You see, these people are born with it. We're born with it. I was born with it. Uh, Everyone born is born with a death penalty that only Jesus can fix. For nine years, Pastor Zoltkovacs prayed. You heard him in the video. He said, I looked around and the need was so great that the only thing we could do was pray. For nine years, it's ten years now, Nine years he prayed for missionaries to come. 
You know, I was the first one to say yes. Not because I was the first one, I find that neat. I find that neat that God answers prayer and that there's still men faithful to pray for nine years. Send somebody, send somebody, send somebody. What he's saying is, we don't want to be comfortable, God. We have a country to reach for the gospel. And he looked at his fellow Hungarians and he said, I can't reach them all. I need help. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm asking churches to help reach hungry with the gospel. Preacher, I'm not asking churches to help me live. God, take care of me. He said, look at the flowers. Don't the flowers even consider anything? I mean, the birds, they don't think where their food's going to come from. And that's how he tells us we should live, by faith. I'm asking churches to help me reach a nation for Christ. Reach the nation for Christ. Let's look at verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 5. In the text, we see Esther spent three days fasting and praying. We see that we can put that three days and say that Jesus was in the tomb, and we can get all these analogies out. But let's look at verse 1. That word right there, now. Now. You know what that now moment is? That's time at the altar. That's when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and you go, I will not be comfortable any longer. Now. I will go and reach the nation. Now I will help in the Esther story. Now I will help. He, she says, it's not my life anymore. She uh, right there says, if I perish, I perish. If the king kills me, then the king kills me. But verse 1, now. It came to pass on the third day. Do we have a now in our life? There was a moment in my life that I had a now moment. A now moment when I said, Lord, I, I will give everything to go to Hungary. I'll give everything. I quit my job in November, and everybody around me says, um, especially my parents, you know, you got kids to feed. And I say, yeah, I know. They're there. But I had a now moment, and that now moment was more important than feeding my kids. Now, was feeding my kids not important? Of course it was important. They haven't missed a meal yet. Right? I mean, they've had too many meals sometimes. If you ask my son... How's deputation? He goes, oh, I eat so much. <laughs> Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, yeah. He goes, I was, what were you, 80 pounds, and now I'm 100, something like that? Yeah, oh, goodness, 110 now. God's taking care of us on deputation. You see, it was a now moment that I had in my life where I said, I'll go. In the video, it overlooks Budapest, you See the river there, the Dambu River, and the boats going up and down that scene, overlooking there, a city of two million people without a preacher. There's two pastors in that town preaching the truth. Now you got the false doctrine preachers. You got the Baptist Union people are there. You could find Baptist churches in their Baptist Union, and that basically means faith plus works, and that's a bunch of hogwash. It's Christ or nothing. Right? Amen. Amen. So you can find Baptist churches there. But to find a church that preaches the truth of God's word, there's only about eight for the country. Eight. It's about the same size as Kentucky that has 1,200 Baptist churches. Independent, fundamental, Bible-believing churches. It's about the same size, people-wise, land-wise. How many churches in Ohio? 
1,500, 2,000. That's great, isn't it? That's exciting. But compare it to hungry. They're so thirsty for the Spirit of God's Word. Thirsty for it. Now, after three days, Esther has her now moment. Jesus had a now moment when he uh, said that we must needs go through Samaria. That was a now moment. You see, Jesus, knowing everything, knew that he had to go through the town that wasn't common for him to go through and find the woman at the well. Question is, are Christians asleep today? Are Christians asleep today? You see, Mordecai came to Esther, and Esther knew the situation. It's not that she didn't know. She just isn't doing anything about it. And Mordecai comes to her and says, you're here for a reason. If God wants you here for such a time as this, are Christians asleep today? Here's some headlines from the news. U.S. issues warn at nuclear talks. Iran sees excessive demands, death toll in Bangladesh, ferry mishap. Let's see, a Christian in Sudan sentenced to death for faith. I was just praying, says the husband. Colombian FARC government reached deal on drugs. Rebels cease fire. I mean, there are these things out of the Bible that we call Christian. This is just the news headlines. Twelve killed in Libyan militia crashes. I mean, these aren't headlines from the Bible that they were actually serving God, you know. Russian prime minister criticized officials for threats on blocking Twitter. That's interesting. But anti-Semitism in the Middle East is a hatred of Jews or anger at Israel. We can find a lot about that in the Bible, huh? Constant history. Those are just a few headlines from Google, just news. What popped up? This is a world that needs Christ. We're a hurting world. There is a, for such a time as this, moment right now. Let's keep reading verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel. Put on. I got stuck on those two words. Put on. And I thought about how Paul constantly would tell us to put on Christ and to put on the armor of God. Here's just a few put-ons that are in the Bible. Uh, Romans 13, 12, and let us put on the armor of light. we got to do that when we go soul winning, isn't it? Right? Put on the armor of light. I mean, they open up the door and get ready to slam it on your face and they're blinded by the light. I mean, <laughs> sounds good, right? Galatians 3, 27, for as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Put on Christ. Ephesians 4, 24, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I want to back up real quick to to Galatians 3.27. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. That means that Christ is put on you. You act like Christ. You're a Christian. You're Christ-like. You think like Christ. You look like Christ. Jesus looked at the masses and had what? Compassion. Do we have compassion? There's a story of a revivalist preacher many years ago who preached five nights of big revival, big tent meeting, and he was tired. It was the last night, and the sermon was done, and he went over to sit on the edge of the platform, and he was just just tired. We're human. We get tired. And he looked back about six, seven rows, and there was a man sitting there, and the rest of the auditorium pretty much cleared out, and 
you could tell that the man was homeless. And the preacher's like, man, I'm tired. I don't want to deal with this. And the man comes up, and he stands next to the preacher. And he says, hello, preacher. And the preacher says, hello, what's your name? Homeless man says, my name's Bob. Preacher says, it's good to meet you, Bob. And he reaches in his pocket, pulls out a little money, goes, here you go, Bob, you can go buy you a meal. And Bob says, I don't need food. I'm not here for food. You see, we had the, he had an expectation of what this man desired from him, money for food. You have people like that come here looking for something. And this preacher had an expectation. And Bob stood there and he says, I want that Jesus you talked about. He said, what is our expectation of the people that we meet, of the 198,000 people that live in this town? What is your expectation when you meet them? Are they in your way in the grocery store? Or are they like the gentleman in Luke chapter 16 that is still burning in hell? We see the put-ons in the Bible. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Don't leave anything out. Take time and study that and put on that armor. Colossians 3.10, have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Renewed, put on the new man. You know, we talked about restaurants. and Is there a buffet around here? I'm sure there is. Probably many of them. I mean, 200,000 people eat somewhere, right? And you go into the buffet, and you get your table, and you get your sweet tea, and you sit down, and then the little uh, waitress says, go ahead and get your food. And you go up, you get a plate, and then you eat it, and then you take that same plate, and you go back to the buffet, right? Oh, someone has some gross faces on you. (laughs) You get a clean plate. You get a clean plate. Do we take a dirty plate to God? Do we take our heart? And we say, God, I want to go to hungry. And God says, you have a dirty plate, Jason. You have to have a clean plate before you can serve me in hungry. Ouch. But God, I, I like this plate. I mean, it already got ketchup on it, you know. You can have fun with that illustration. Do we go to God with dirty plates? David said, created me a what? Clean heart. Let's go to God with, like Colossians 3.10 says, put on a New man. Let's get a new plate when we go to God, if I may. Which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Him that created him. Esther 4, verse 16. She agrees to talk to the king. I know I bounced back, but it's a lesson we need to learn. You see, she goes and she has three days of fasting and three days of praying. How do we handle our problems in life? Do we rush into things. You know, we talked with the preacher about your building program. It's not a building program, is it? It's a buildings program. And he said, I'm not in a hurry. God's timing's right. And that's true for every problem we have. Wait for God's timing. Even in deputation, it's God's timing. I gave a specific date of when I want to be there. But I know that it's God's timing. But I can trust him to hold to that date, provide the funds. Verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 1. Again, now, now has come after the wait. The now moment in our life when we decide to do something for God, it comes after a wait. There was a time in my life that I ran from God. I ran from Him. 
You want to know my life story? Look at Jonah. You'll see it. I ran from him. But there became a now moment in my life when I quit running from him. But before that, there was some time that I had to get away and pray. and I had to have God clean my heart out and I had to confess sin and confess more and confess more and confess more. And There was a now moment. Isaiah 40, 31. They that what? Wait. They that wait. What a word Americans don't like. I mean, it's just four letters. What's not to like? It's just wait. You know? When we're at buffet lines, we don't like to wait, do we? God asks us to wait. In fact, he gives a promise in that verse. It says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You see that strength comes after the wait. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Wings as eagles. They shall run and not weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the deputation verse right there, huh? Oh, my. Wait, wait, wait. God, I want to go to Hungary today. Wait. This church is saying, we want to be in the new building today. And God says, wait, wait, wait. Wait is the key to the deputation. The 10 million people are waiting to hear the gospel for the first time. The harvest is truly ready. The souls are ready to be Reaped, I believe that. I believe that. Why, why would God allow a man and give him the patience to pray for nine years and then to have a man like myself stand up and say, come for no harvest? That doesn't make sense to me. I don't think that follows a biblical pattern for me to show up in Hungary and go through all this stuff of life and stuff that involves deputation. I mean, who quits their job and just has no income. I mean, it's just, that's not what people do, you know? I believe there's a harvest waiting to be picked. But I must learn to wait on the Lord. We saw how Esther waited. But after that wait, becomes the now. It's just one word, but it's a powerful word. Now. Father God, as we close the service and we ask the Holy Spirit to apply these words and these truths. And Father, I know I'm a scattered brain when I preach and talk. It's just the way I am. I just, I just pray that something I said may have stirred something in someone's heart. That maybe they can start a journey of their now moment in their own life, Lord. Let you get glory for everything that was said. I, I don't want any honor or glory. I don't deserve it, Lord. I'm just a sinner. You know that more than anyone here. Please be with this invitation, Lord. In your name I pray.